How does antimicrobial resistance impact Ontario's apiculture industry? And what are the best health management practices for honeybees? Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the FAST podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Roach. This podcast series is brought to you by the Farmed Animal Antimicrobial Stewardship Initiative, or FAST for short. This series explores how antimicrobial resistance impacts farmed animals, including honeybees, what antimicrobial stewardship looks like in daily practice, and the different views on challenges and potential solutions to reducing our reliance on antimicrobials moving forward. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Greg Hawkins, a veterinarian based in Southern Ontario, who is also the owner and operator of a commercial bee operation. Greg shares his concerns about perceptions surrounding American fowl brood and its potential impacts on Ontario's industry. So let's get into it. Well, Greg, it's a pleasure to be able to sit down and chat with you today. Thank you, Steve. So um, I think I'm really excited about this podcast, partly because we've had a relationship for a little while and it's always nice to catch up. But um, in particular, you know, you have a a long background and expertise in a a species and a commodity that I don't have a lot of experience with, and that's bees. Um, And uh, and so I wonder if you can tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into this kind of uh, the sector. Sure. I've been a a beekeeper for about 15 years now, and I would say a small commercial beekeeper for the last seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm located near Rockwood, Ontario, and uh, I'm also a veterinarian. And so I and I understand, uh, you know, the complexities around managing disease, uh, the complexities around access to antibiotics. Um, And it's, it's been interesting to observe the issues specifically within the bee, bee industry around these regulations that have come forth um, that are geared towards protecting human health. Mm-hmm. So you talked to a little bit there about the regulations, the ones that came into place, you know, by and large in December 1st of, of 2018. Um, how have they impacted, from your uh, perspective, uh, beekeepers? Well, it was, it was very... Um, it caused a lot of consternation initially because the, the industry just didn't know exactly how they would be impacted and, and the logistics of getting access to antibiotics. Mm-hmm. The role of the veterinarian in helping um, the industry access antibiotics has been largely sorted out through some great work through the College of Veterinarians of Ontario and the Ontario Beekeepers Association worked very closely and came up with a, a very workable uh, solution that certainly met the spirit of the regulations and was acceptable to the beekeeping industry in general. So backing up a step there, in Ontario anyway, there's kind of two streams of the beekeeping industry. It's somewhat unique to Ontario. Ontario has over 100,000 hives, uh, well over 3,000 beekeepers, about 200 and 50 of those, certainly less than 300, are what you would consider to be commercial beekeepers that control uh, a good number of the hives. Mm -hmm. A lot of the beekeepers are small, smaller beekeepers, one hive, two hives, ten hives, and I'm going to just call them small beekeepers or hobbyists for now. This is only my impression, and it's certainly not based on an exhaustive discussions with each channel. But my sense is that the commercial beekeepers understand why the regulations came out. 
uh, are uh, satisfied with the pathway to access to antimicrobials. And really, if you crunch the numbers, if somebody, if a commercial beekeeper with 500 hives um, pays a fee to a veterinarian to access an antimicrobial, it might add a nickel or a dime per hive. My, my sense is that they're not really too concerned. Mm-hmm. They accept that now. Um, I was more concerned initially that the regulations would be impediment to small beekeepers to access the antimicrobials that they were accessing. And without those, then there's a risk that the disease the antimicrobials are used to prevent, which is American fowl brood, would, uh, would explode. Right. And that would be devastating to the industry. Now, beekeepers who are listening to this will know about it, I hope. <laughs> um, but um, for your other listeners, this is a disease, you could compare it to brucellosis in cattle. When we find it, we have to burn the hives. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly contagious. It's incredibly infectious, and it's very long-lived in the environment. And if it gets hold, it's going to cost the industry a lot. Um, so I was very concerned that, or I guess I was under the impression that most small beekeepers were using antimicrobials to manage American fowl brood, and that these regulations would be an impediment to that. And what I found out, again, it wasn't an exhaustive survey, but just through my experience of um, giving presentations to uh, local chapters, my sense is that the smaller beekeepers weren't accessing the antimicrobials to begin with. And in fact, many of them don't have a strategy for managing the American fowl brood. Hmm. And that's very worrisome because I know when I started keeping bees, every year we would have a presentation by an inspector or by OMAFRA or by the OVA somebody would come in and talk about American fowl brood and how devastating it was and how important it was to manage it. And antimicrobials is one aspect of that management. It's not the only aspect, but it's one aspect Mm -hmm. and a useful one. But I wasn't prepared for what I think I saw, which was that most most smaller beekeepers aren't concerned and don't have a strategy. Right. The few that I asked specifically would say, oh, I didn't think it was a problem. Or if you use antimicrobials, doesn't that just cause resistance? Um, or I didn't think I had to treat. Or what is AFB? Is that something we ha- is that something we should worry about? And I know that in, in one instance, um, a beekeeper in the audience who asked about what AFB was and do they need to worry about it was also present the previous fall when I talked about AFB. Right. So some, there's some, some impediment, Steve, right. to the message being received by these beekeepers. Yeah, and it's, it's not even just that it's not being received, it's, it's somewhat being ignored, it sounds like, at it's, least in some way. Somehow or other, it's not getting, whether it's actively being ignored or whether they don't think it's important to right. them, yep. um, whether the message is being delivered in a, the wrong way, I, I don't know. But as you know, 
as marketers will say, you have to understand the attitudes before you can craft the message. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I guess just to add my two cents on that too, I mean, it's, it's, um, commonplace. I spend a lot of time talking to different professionals, different groups about how do you motivate change or or influence behavior. Mm -hmm. And and we know, at least from certain disciplines like psychology, a lot of work's gone into that trying to understand what are the factors that contribute to someone doing, you know, adopting a new practice or not adopting a practice. And uh, many of the things you spoke about there tend to be knowledge driven. You know, I have the knowledge, you need the knowledge. And once I give you that advice, that recommendation, you'll take that and go uh, take it up on your farm or in life, whatever the the case Mm -hmm. may be. And what we know is that Knowledge is, of course, an important pillar of, of any sort of change, but attitude is a big one, as you mentioned. Huge. Um, also, the social environment that, that they receive this information. The other one is is their ability to actually make the change in the first place or adopt mm-hmm. the behavior. Yeah. And collectively, we tend to ball that up as mindset uh, of, yep. the, of the individual. And so... You know that I think that's what you're getting at a bit. You know what? What's your sense for the mindset of commercial versus sort of hobbyist beekeepers? Are they different, and and mm-hmm. do we understand it? Yes. Yeah. It's a puzzle. I mean, you're right. Sometimes we think, well, if we just stand up and hold up our hand and hold up one hand and hold the the good book in the other hand and say that this is what should be done, that it'll be done. But mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way at all. Right. <laughs> um, to your last point, um, I, I think commercial beekeepers do understand how serious American fowl brood can be to their operation and are highly motivated. And I, I would say have been highly motivated. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not at all concerned that those who would classify themselves as commercial beekeepers, um, I think they've been highly motivated. I think they understand it. Um, and I think that you know, they'll access the antibiotics. <laughs> and I don't think begrudgingly anymore. I mm-hmm. think there was a lot of confusion and consternation at first, but it'll fit into their programs. Um, but I don't know, I don't know why the smaller beekeepers don't seem to catch the message. And that's my sense of it. It'd be very interesting to have some group do an attitudinal survey um, to try to see if what I'm suspecting is actually true. Mm-hmm. Because I think it would be, I think it would be a key to crafting the right messages that would then bring about the understanding of the disease. Um, but it, it's been very interesting, though, that you know, the, really, this all came about as part of AMR. And I remember, I think it was Les Eccles from the OBA saying, you know, this is maybe an opportunity to get to get a greater understanding get more people involved in spreading the message about AFB, mm-hmm. and that would be good for the industry in general. And actually, I think that's true. I think that the bigger impact on our industry will be a, a, not a negative because of, a, uh, because of um, guidelines on access to antimicrobials. I think it'll be very positive if we can get everybody on board and understanding what AFB is. Mm-hmm. That'll probably be the bigger the bigger um, benefit to our industry mm-hmm. that came from what initially looked like a pretty scary proposition. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. If, if we did um, sort of flip the switch, so to speak, for some of these folks that, that um, you know, maybe aren't uh, taking in the, the messages that are being delivered, um, 
if we look at it from the perspective of what do we actually know about best practice, what would we like to see some of these folks doing? Um, can you give us sort of the, are there sort of some key elements to, to a, plan, a high health plan or a bee health plan that we would like to see these folks taking on? Mm-hmm. Yes, as I said, antimicrobials is only one aspect right. of managing the whole disease. And you have to think of not treating for AFP or preventing AFP or applying a preventative for AFP, but managing bee health. Mm-hmm. So let me answer that by saying, uh, what, uh, what if somebody did not use antimicrobials, what they would have to do? And in fact, it's the same thing. Everything is the same as if they were to use antimicrobials, which, which you know, supports the idea that antimicrobials come at the end of it. Um, the first thing is, you know, understanding how important AFB can be not only to one's own hives, but to their neighbor's hives. Mm-hmm. The second thing is then uh, knowing what it looks like or what it doesn't look like. Mm-hmm. The incidence is low enough that most of the time you need to know what it doesn't look like. Right. <laughs> um, and then uh, accepting the responsibility either to manage it through antimicrobial use while still maintaining surveillance, or if it is seen, uh, being prepared to burn the hives. So what I've mentioned to beekeepers is that um, they really need to get a sense of what it looks like. I've said you can manage without antibiotics, but you have to be prepared to inspect your hives at least four times a year, first thing in the spring, maybe twice in the summer, once in the fall, and be prepared to burn anything that looks like AFB. Right. And, you know, those are all the same aspects as whether you use antimicrobials or not. Um, Antimicrobials will... So far, at least in an Ontario situation, are still effective at uh, helping to prevent AFB, and it'll maybe reduce the number of hives that you know break through disease that has to, where hives have to be burned. There is still AFB out there. Uh, a survey by the OBA. Uh, I should say there are still the spores or the agent, the infective agent of AFB out there. The causative agent of AFB is still out there. A study just not too long ago, within the last two years by the OBA, uh, showed that um, in clinically affected hives, the spore was, or the agent was recovered in well over 80% of hives, which you would expect. Sure. Um, And in clinically normal looking hives, it wasn't recovered to that extent, but it was still recovered two and a half, three percent. So what that means is that every hundred hives in the area, and there are so many hives in southern Ontario, that three have the potential to break with AFB, and those three hives therefore have the potential to infect your other hives and your neighbor's hives. So it is there, Mm -hmm. and three percent doesn't seem like much. However, it is highly, highly infective and highly, highly contagious. Right, and that's the issue. Really, it could spread like wildfire if it wasn't contained. Right. So management becomes the the critical aspect. Yeah. So um, I think that's great. I mean, especially if we, can, we don't have time to kind of go into the nitty gritty, but I think e- even what you've laid out there is not just, again, not just having the knowledge about what to do, um, but backing up and, and again, not just understanding what it looks like, but why it needs to be managed in the first place. And, and I like that, you know, there's two levels to, to disease management most in most cases, regardless of whether we're beekeepers or some other type of producer. And that's, there is a risk to you 
There is a risk to your operation, your animals, those kinds of things, but also to the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, whether that's your neighborhood or, or you know, a huge, huge industry in Ontario or, or beyond our borders. Because as I know, um, some some people like to say, you know, diseases don't don't respond to borders. No. <laughs> there are no boundaries that way, right? <laughs> no. Oh, we've learned that through other diseases that affect bees here in southern Ontario that have skipped over Niagara River and, sure. <laughs> and the St. Clair River. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. So my last question then for you, I'd like to ask everyone, is is what does the future of, of hive man- health management uh, look like moving into the future? You know, if antimicrobial access is uh, increasingly a challenge, or at least there is more of a focus and lens on how are we using these most effectively and trying to build up our, our other tools to effectively manage hive health. Do you, do you have a sense for where that might be going? Um, well, with respect to AFB, I think, you know, the challenges are, are what we've spoken about already, um, mostly um, the attitudes towards right. AFB. I think that is the biggest challenge. How to get there? Well, I think, <laughs> as I said, we, we need to understand why, that, why those impediments are there to begin with. But as a, as, as a general interesting note for your listeners who aren't beekeepers, it's fascinating what work is being done uh, on bee health. Um, the group at uh, York University is employing, you know, quite advanced techniques in molecular biology to understand uh, what genes control various behaviors relating, for, for example, to hive hygiene, hygienic activity of bees, uh, which can affect diseases like, help to suppress diseases like AFB and, of course, mites. It's amazing the work that's being done. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And and what will flow out of that may be hive side diagnostics right. where beekeepers, you know, can check very quickly. Does this disease cell contain AFB? And also with respect to breeding programs, um, these same molecular biology techniques can be used to uh, select traits more rapidly than natural breeding programs mm-hmm. could. It's really fascinating. No kidding. Fascinating in many ways. Um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect uh, is uh, relates to the internet of all things. There's a, there are a lot of companies that are trying to develop uh, sensors that measure parameters. For example, hive humidity, hive temperature, the noise within a hive, mm-hmm. the weight of a hive, and uh, all of these can be used uh, to follow hive health, which is which uh, I think will have a huge impact for us because of our challenges of wintering. Right. You know, if we can follow the weight of hives over the winter, if we can understand the temperature of hives and understand the humidity, and we, can, we may or may not be able to intercede. I suppose if we lose a lot of weight, we know that we have to go feed. <laughs> if, it, if we see hives losing a lot of weight to a critical level in February, we know we have to go feed, for example. There's probably a lot of this data will have to be sifted through to help us understand how to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And that's, those, those are interesting opportunities. The challenge there is building, you know, sensors and devices that can withstand our winter. <laughs> yeah. That's a big challenge. Um, but those are, those are, those are kind of high tech directions where 
what might seem like a fairly bucolic industry is going. Yeah, and and that's true. I mean, that's a. I like those comments because it it reflects a trend that's occurring in in agriculture in general. I mean, the the introduction of advanced technology for for animal health monitoring, surveillance, that kind of thing, yeah. as well as just for other management decisions, whether it be breeding or mm-hmm. uh, or many other um, well, many of the challenges that come with managing any sort of operation. They are businesses after all, and trying to understand the economics that go into that alongside with making decisions about inputs uh, to get your output, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that's really neat. And um, and maybe with that, Greg, I'll, I'll thank you for uh, for taking the time to chat with us. It's it's I'm fascinated by this industry and really appreciate getting some insights uh, from your standpoint on uh, what are the challenges, where do we need to go? I love the, the attitudinal uh, component there because I agree. I mean, we can't come up with effective messaging if we don't understand what's ultimately the behavior or sorry, the barrier towards the behavior. So uh, well said, and thanks very much. You're quite welcome, Steve. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Remember to check back with this podcast as we're going to continue putting up new podcasts on this issue. And we're also working on other tools and resources for both veterinarians and producers, all focused on antimicrobial resistance and the practice of antimicrobial stewardship. You can find these tools and resources at www.amstewardship.ca. FAST is a collaborative initiative between the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association, Acer Consulting, government, academic, and industry partners, and its mission is to improve antimicrobial stewardship in farmed animals, prepare farmed animal owners and their veterinarians for policy and regulatory changes, and ultimately to preserve the efficacy of antimicrobials without compromising animal health or food safety. Thanks for listening.